When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Alan Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm a writer with an interest in the intimate. We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure. (laughs) This episode of The Pleasure Podcast is sponsored by YES, award-winning natural intimate health. Not your average lube, their plant-based lubricants are certified organic and work with your body to increase sensation and satisfaction. I regularly recommend Yes Lubricants because they're hypoallergenic with no parabens, hormones or side effects. Two of their lubricant stars are Yes WB, which is water-based, pH-matched and condom and toy-compatible, it's a real all-rounder, and Yes OB, which is plant oil-based, not just a lubricant, this smooth, silky cream warms to an oil, which is perfect for a massage. We love this brand and that they're as serious about health as they are about pleasure. Yes, making vaginas happy since 2003. In this episode of The Pleasure Podcast, we welcome Dr. Karen Gurney, clinical psychologist and psychosexologist specialising in sexual well-being and function. Her book, Mind the Gap, the truth about desire and how to future-proof your sex life, brilliantly covers the psychology of sex and relationships and how to implement changes into your own life. Karen joins us in these unprecedented times to talk about sex, pleasure and relationships during this pandemic. How can we manage anxiety and maintain intimacy when living in a lockdown? This is a practical conversation with lots of tips and tricks for us all, whatever our sexuality or gender, whether living on our own, apart from our loved ones, in couples, in house shares or back home with less than supportive families. In this rather extraordinary time of isolation and this virus, are the sorts of questions and consultations that you're having now particularly different to usual? Yeah, I mean, I'm really seeing some drastic changes for people in terms of what's happening with their sex lives right now, particularly. So people who happen to be stuck at home with partners, there is a marked change in either direction with either sex becoming something that feels completely irrelevant to them that they can't possibly think about. And for some people, sex being something that is a lifeline to them because it's a way of managing stress or way of feeling connected or a way of feeling alive. And so I'm seeing a real polarisation and a shift um, in either direction with most of the people who are at home with a partner. And then I think for people that are at home without partners, whether that's casual partners or regular partners they don't live with, there's a real sense of loss 
of human connection, of touch, of being able to express sexuality. And so I think there's a, an awful lot of change going on for people right now. I, th- um, I think lots of people use uh, sex as a soothing aid. Um, it, it helps them. some people sleep, it helps people feel connected. Just that touch is so, uh, in some ways, sedating. You know, I, mean, I, I, I find that cuddling is one of the most important ways of calming down. And if you don't have that sense of touch, you don't have um, the, the idea of someone else's skin on your skin. I mean, Naomi, you were mentioning something called skin hunger. About- I love this term. Either it sounds like a horror movie or something wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> skin but, uh, hunger, yes, this need for touch. And we are sort of genetically and evolutionally programmed for touch. And we get opiates and endorphins released from our bodies, which actually gives us a sense of comfort and pleasure. And so actually being separated from that, particularly if you're used to it, must be really challenging. Absolutely, I really agree with that. And I think one of the things that um, you see a lot in in our kind of cultural discourse around sex is often about sex being very frivolous and a real kind of recreational pursuit. And one of the things I feel really passionately about is that we don't talk enough in our society about how people's motivations to be sexual is actually often about meeting basic psychological needs or relational needs. And we are motivated to be sexual, not always just to scratch an itch, but often because we need connection with another person. We need to feel something. We need to calm ourselves down. We need to boost our mood. There are lots of reasons that people have suddenly had taken away from them. I was thinking about particularly in this time of anxiety, and I think there's a, there is more anxiety generally. Um, we're more clued in, we're, we're reading a lot more news, we're seeing a lot on social media, some of it true, some of it not entirely true. Um, people are, are on the websites all the time. That sort of pervasive anxiety can have a, a various responses in people. You mentioned some people can become very sexual because their need for soothing, their need for touch becomes increased. Other become less sexual. I wanted to just ask you about sort of any ideas of what you could do to try and calm your own anxiety, to try and bring your own anxiety down so you can feel more functional. I think one of the crucial messages before we get into how you can calm that is it's completely okay to not want to be sexual at all at the moment, as well as in the opposite direction. And it's important that people feel that, that there's permission, that if this is the last thing on their mind at the moment, that's totally fine and don't worry, it will pass. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of evidence, of course, of the types of things that help to reduce anxiety and the ways in which we can manage that better. And the most startling evidence comes from the field of mindfulness. And Of course, it just so happens that mindfulness is also exceptionally good for your sex life because sexual function, as we know, is all about attention and mindfulness is all about attention. So one of the ways in which people can really reduce their circulating cortisol levels and make themselves feel less stressed is by practicing daily mindfulness. And I would recommend that that's something that all of us should be doing anyway in daily life because it's so good for our attention, our concentration, our productivity, our stress levels, our sleep, everything. But especially in this moment in time, if you don't have a daily mindfulness practice, now is a great time to take it up. It will benefit you with managing this current anxiety. It's also really good for your sex life. So I often recommend people download one of the apps. I personally prefer Budify. I'm not on commission, but I do really like Budify. And people just practice five to 10 minutes a day. And it will take some time to see results, of course. It's hard. It's harder than people think. But we know that it helps. So people definitely should be thinking about that. 
One of the most interesting things that's come out of the last decade of sex research is the impact of attention on sexual function and that arousal can only happen through your ability to pay attention to what's going on. And of course, our attention is constantly divided. If 60% of your attention is focused on what your body looks like and 20% of it is focused on, oh, I don't know if they're going to enjoy it. And then you've got another 10% focused on, am I going to come on or will I stay hard or not or whatever it might be. You've got very little attention left to be noticing sensation. And it's the sensation that improves your sexual response. So we know that people who are naturally more mindful, so people that naturally are better at paying attention to sensation, have more orgasms than people who aren't. So we know that there are direct links between being able to pay attention to your body, to someone else's body, to the present moment and sexual function. And we actually have, at the Havelock Clinic, we have online workshops and one of them is called Train Your Brain for Better Sex. And it's basically like an on-demand web series about how to do this. So if people have got time in their hands and they want to learn more about the science and practice of that, they can go on and watch those videos in their own time. I was wondering if we could start off with a little bit of advice to people who are in couples, first off. Well, I guess there are a couple of things that I think would be really useful for couples to do right now to use this time for. And the first is to have a conversation about typically the effects of stress and anxiety on your sexuality, because it's often not something that we know about each other. So in times of stress, do we know how our partners usually respond to that? So just knowing that about each other by talking it through is a good starting point. And perhaps thinking about how to negotiate that if one partner finds that their sex drive typically goes up and the other one says, actually, mine is the opposite, it goes down, then it might be worth having a really open conversation about that just so that it doesn't turn into resentment and hostility later on. After that, I think there are some very interesting challenges but also opportunities around for couples who are in lockdown together at the moment around the use of time and we know that having more unstructured time together is generally better for people's sex lives it's quite unrealistic when you've only got a very short period of time together alone undisturbed in a day when you're not doing other life admin to expect to both feel like having sex and for sex to happen this time is a real opportunity for that because all of a sudden, even if you've got kids at home, so the daytimes are out, there's a lot more evenings in together, there's a lot less structured time. So there is a real opportunity for people's sex lives. However, there is also a real challenge because the roles that we typically associate with less sexy ways of relating to each other that kind of dilute our sexual roles as partners, such as housemates or kind of life admin partners, like are you going to get some milk, we're really low type thing, or co-parents, those roles are more prevalent than they've perhaps ever been and risk diluting the sexual partner's role. So one of the other bits of advice that I have for couples is to find a way to transition through those roles. So make sure that there is a couple of minutes a day, it doesn't have to be a lot, but frequent points throughout the day where you're able to relate to each other as sexual partners, which could look like, you know, a brief passionate kiss. It could look like a compliment. It could be a bit of a kind of, you know, grab of them as you pass them in the kitchen. It could be a message you send them while you're working from the other room. Just something that keeps up that sexual role so that that's not completely swamped 
by this 24-7 isolation but living as housemates role, which is quite unsexy, actually. Yes. I mean, although I have to say that sometimes watching your partner working <laughs> can be quite sexy. That's <laughs> you true, isn't being it? Really, you see them being really good at their job and you're like, actually, that, that's great. Oh, oh, that's quite nice. But equally, because you're around each other 24-7, you start to get irritated by things like, why do you eat so loudly? <laughs> or why do you have to make so much noise when you respond to an email? <laughs> <laughs> that's so true, isn't it? And it really makes me think about um, you know, some of the work of Esther Perel when she talks about the importance of seeing your partner as the other, seeing them from a distance. And for a lot of people, seeing their partner in a work mode is a real turn on because it is seeing them through other eyes. There's real pros and cons with this. It's such a funny place to be. The world feels very different to me because from Naomi's experience, Naomi is mostly inside with your partner. Whereas for me, I'm walking to work every day because I work in a GP practice. So I wonder whether there are lots of people who are at home, not necessarily having the same experience as someone else and that can also feel challenging for them yeah and I think especially if you've got one partner who can go out because they're a key worker or essential worker and then another partner that's at home I think those two experiences as you say are really quite different and it's important for people who are at home well actually it's important for both because if you're a key worker you might be facing other stresses from being out and doing your job but it's important for both people to consider how their own mental health in both of those scenarios might be impacting on their sex drive as well. And I think that's a good thing for couples to discuss also. One thing I um, was wondering about and what I've been asked about is um, what do people do if they want to masturbate and they're living with a partner and they and masturbation is an important part of their mental health and looking after themselves? How can people even begin to negotiate that? Mm. This is challenging, isn't it? Because it depends how much space and privacy you have at home, for one. And it also depends on whether you're used to masturbating in rooms like the bathroom, for two. Because some people are and can do that perfectly easily. And for some people, like that's, that's never going to happen. a male thing. Is that, is I think that, it is. is yeah, I think it is. I think it's something that um, is, is more common for men than for women. Um so I think that those two things come into it first. And then the third is how comfortable you are with the concept of talking about needing the privacy to masturbate, which I don't know about the two of you, but in my experience is something that is often very difficult for couples to acknowledge. And there's often never a, a there's never a discussion um, about needing to or wanting to or having had masturbated. And I think that is a conversation that, would be really useful for couples to think about, especially if tracking back to the beginning of our conversation, they have um, identified that one of them might need this more at the moment and one of them might need it less. It's a, it's a really good solution to that problem. But I think it connects with a whole cultural sense of shame and um, disgust around masturbation, which is really unfortunate because at this moment in time, it could be exactly what people need. So in my, in my personal case, I have broached the subject matter and we have um, negotiated in a sort of jokey way that one would go for a walk um, <laughs> to give the other person space. 
But somehow I can't think of anything less sexy than being given 20 minutes or however long it's going to take to get to the shop and back or whatever to to, to do that. <laughs> so I I'm still feel pretty stuck, really. Yeah, especially because you can't go for a long walk. So it puts mm-hmm. a bit of a time pressure on it, which right? is often quite difficult for a lot of people, isn't it? I think there's also the expectation that people should be all of the sex the other person needs. Mm. You know, and, and that, that sex should happen just between the two of them and it shouldn't really be happening outside. And if it is happening outside, it's either unspoken or it's not ideal. Uh, and some people yeah. also use pornography, don't they, for, for, for masturbating and actually having that on, for example, at the volume you like to have it on or using your toys. Then actually that also has its own issues, particularly if there are other people in the house. You know, if you're a couple that lives in a, in a house share or you've got housemates or kids, I can imagine that can be a real issue. Yeah. And or, or I know a few people as well, a few of my clients um, have moved back to be with their parents because they're, you know, going to be alone in London and, and actually would rather be with other people. So I think there's some people are actually in with their parents now, whereas they don't usually. So I think it affects them as well. And I totally agree with you, Anand. I think often we we think about our sexuality only in reference to someone else, don't we? And Um, It's something I feel really strongly about. We should consider our sexuality to be something that's independent of somebody else, something that we do alone in all kinds of ways with fantasy and masturbation and, you know, the way we dress, the things we watch, the way we dance, whatever it might be. And also something we do sometimes with another person or for some people, many other people. And it really creates a problem if we think about it as something we only do with that other person. That's why masturbation then feels off limits, doesn't it? There are plenty of other ways that people can enjoy their sexuality alone, you know, with porn, with audio erotica, with um, just the way in which they they think or look after their body in this time. That could also be a bit of an outlet. But the privacy issue is a real issue, I think. There are plenty of quiet sex toys, as we know, and you could probably get them shipped to you very quickly but the, the the privacy issue is a real issue and especially for people that live in cramped accommodation I think and people who are alone at the moment or single is this a great time to find out more about your own desire for example investing more in sex toys or in different types of porn or different types of stimulus that you might not necessarily have allowed yourself or given yourself time to explore previously Absolutely. I mean, here's another one of the silver linings of opportunity, right? We can invest in, I mean, not that we all are. I, I was planning to invest in having a good di- a good diet, but it's not really worked out that way. But, you know, the opportunity is there and we can do the same with our sexuality, should we feel we want to. And there are an awful lot of great resources out there to help people do that. I did a live last week and I put the resource on our website for people to use for free, which is an exercise called Understanding Your Conditions for Good Sex. And that's available free to download on our Havelock Clinic website. And it's basically about looking back and understanding what makes sex good for you from a psychological point of view, from a physical point of view, how much your mind is in it or out of it, and using that as a tool to understand your own sexuality. Uh, Would you also recommend things that are physical as well in terms of self-soothing? I was thinking about, you know, baths and um, self-massage, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think... Uh, any type of touch to the body. Of course, we can touch our own bodies in a way that we like them to be touched, whether that's, you know, putting moisturiser on after the bath, whether it's as part of masturbation or whether it's just part of self-soothing. That can be a really a good strategy for all of us, I think, to increase that sense of connection, that sense of feeling soothed 
by touch is something we can bring on ourselves. I've certainly had lots of conversations with people who, um, you know, sex for them is a real means of maintaining good mental health and connection with others, casual sex. And that's a very challenging thing to be in a position where you can't hook up. Um, and I know there's a lot of people suffering with that at the moment. I've heard reports, unfortunately, of people yearning so much for sex and the fact that it's such a strong part of their lives. That, but they've basically been going around to people's houses and having sex with the mask on, the, the gay men, having sex with the other mm. partner in a doggy style position. So actually there is the least saliva to saliva or oral facial contact as possible. And I was just thinking, oh God, you know, wearing mm. masks, etc. Again, that's very practical. And I completely understand there's a degree of distancing, but I don't know quite how distant penetrative sex actually is. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not recommended in the government advice, is it? But, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think it's referenced, it's, I don't think. There's not a, there's not a pictorial Having sex there. doggy style with masks on, yeah. I don't think they mentioned that, did they? No. Um, but, I mean, if there's one thing that uh, men who have sex with men are, are very good at, it's mitigating risk around sex, yep. hey? They've become experts in that because they've had to because of the HIV epidemic. Those are really good skills. But at the same time, I think it's important that as a society, we need to ensure we don't demonise people who are really feeling this because sex isn't just a frivolous pursuit. And for a lot of people, that's the way that they connect with others and they are missing that connection and that's bad for their mental health. There is um, some interesting research to suggest that a way of us feeling connected with other people to relieve that stress of feeling isolated is by fantasizing about a past sexual partner and that when people do that they feel more connected to humans so it's not just about sexual fantasy and it's not just about a daydream it's a particular type of thing called sexual nostalgia so for people who find themselves alone and in need of connection or feeling isolated it could be a really good thing for them to drag up a fantasy of a particularly good past experience with someone they know and that that can be a way of helping people feel connected. We've had a couple of questions about exactly that, actually, about whether people who are isolated and alone at the moment should allow their minds to go into the past or, or into fantasy because it's then feels quite painful because they can't achieve that anytime necessarily soon. But is the pleasure experienced in the moment of those recollections of those memories, does that outweigh the pain of them realising, ah, but I won't have that for however many months, that longing? Mm, I think that's a tricky one. I think it depends on... Um, I think it's, it's certainly um, the research points to it being a good thing for their sense of connection with others to do that sexual nostalgia. But if it's also connected to a sense of sadness about a breakup or a sense of real loss for somebody who was in the past and you're feeling psychologically on shaky ground at the moment, it might not be the best thing to pick them. I mean, one of the things I've become interested in in the last year that I think is potentially a resource but comes with a financial cost, so it's not for everyone, is I've been interested in the impact of virtual reality porn in this current situation because obviously there's a lot that goes on in virtual reality porn where you feel you're actually there, which kind of tricks the brain into feeling that the touch to your body is coming from another person. And I know that we've got a long way to go with AI and virtual reality porn in terms of making it super, super realistic. 
But some people can afford headsets and there are some cheaper headsets on the market and there are plenty of virtual reality porn providers and it does provide a bit more of a realistic experience and for some people it could be a way forward. Could you guide me through this a little? So do you sort of create an avatar and meet other people in sort of chat room type scenarios? It's not quite that advanced yet. Virtual reality porn is filmed from a different point of view. So it's filmed from a kind of self point of view. So what you see is your view of having sex with another person. I see. Or in some situations, what you see is a sex party that you can walk around and see what's going on. And there is a lot of really interesting research into the experience of what your brain then sees and how your own touch to your body might then be interpreted. So, for example, you know, if you're watching someone perform oral sex on you at the same time that you're using, you know, a male masturbator, for example, does that then feel more realistic than if you're just fantasizing about that. And we can guess that it does. I love how that I had immediately gone into like the world of the Sims. <laughs> that well, I was like, well, you just make a Sim character, right? <laughs> that's definitely the future. And of course, there are probably lots of online forums where people are having lots of internet sex like that. And, you know, great, as long as they're safe in terms of their internet safety. But I think that there are some possibilities like that, you know, connecting via technology that could meet some of those needs. Not all, of course, but some. And there are even those sex toys which have remote controls or radio controls that you can use via apps. So, I mean, if couples are separated or um, having to social distance, that could be an interesting way of just allowing that contact to continue and it, and it not feeling like you're, you know, you're masturbating because someone else is causing the, the change and that can make you yeah. feel connected as well. I was wondering if there's anything else that we, that we could talk about that would um, help couples who are distanced from each other to maintain intimacy, satisfying that skin hunger that we were talking about, but from a distance. Mm. I mean, it makes me think about like being a teenager and having to have phone sex. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I think phone those, sex is absolutely yeah. derided, but it's such a brilliant thing. It really stimulates mm, yeah. the mind. And if you are using your hands to travel across your body and not just gently focused, I think that can be an extraordinary yes. thing. If someone else, the other person is taking charge and directing your hands or you're taking charge and directing your own hands over your body and experiencing other Roger Stones. The the domination aspect of that or the control might be quite interesting or nuanced for you. And in some ways it might be horrible for you if that's something that doesn't work for you. But actually having the the ability to explore a little bit more fantasy um, and perhaps role playing, um, which you can, which is a lot easier when you're not looking the other person in the eye. So if you're doing it over the phone and talking to someone and actually going, look, I'm going to imagine this is our sexiest moment. We're going to actually, let's talk about who we're going to be. Yeah, and I think the use of FaceTime is perfect for that, isn't it? Because, you know, we've been able to move on since just using the phone. We can use video imagery, which is brilliant. And I think that's a brilliant idea. And I would add to that and say that for the people who feel that talking about sex is the worst thing that they can imagine, which is a lot of people, then we could perhaps provide them with some scaffolding to help them get to that stage, which is by um, getting them to perhaps separately, because they're in separate households, uh, pick a film that they're going to watch at the same time. So it could be a film that they know is going to have a good sex scene in it. Or if they feel 
um, like they want to take it a bit further. It could be some porn that one of them chooses that they both watch. And during that, they could use WhatsApp to comment on the things that they find hot in that scenario and perhaps mm. the things that they don't like. And for a lot of people, typing feels safer than speaking. And then they could, if they wanted to, progress to speaking and they could use that to build up a bit of a virtual kind of memory bank of the things that they themselves might like. Because a lot of people don't know, do they? Partners say to them, what do you like? And they go, oh, I don't know. And so they could use that to build up their own bank of things that they know they find hot, but also to understand a bit about their partners. But the main thing that that's doing is helping them practice communicating about it in a different format, because a lot of people fall into a set script of, of A, then B, then C, and that becomes the way it happens. And it's very hard to diversify. This current climate provides all of us with an opportunity to throw everything that we've known out of the window and to do something new. And for a lot of couples, given that we know that being able to communicate sex is the number one predictor of sexual satisfaction over everything else, this provides them with an opportunity to relearn or get reacquainted or just get comfortable for the first time ever in their life with communicating about sex. And they could do that starting by watching something, starting by texting and WhatsApping, moving up to doing the FaceTime sex. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I think some people who are potentially low risk but still want to, for example, go on a date. <laughs> I've been asked, would it be all right if, if I met up with him, you know, in the park and um, that we stayed at a distance from each other? No. You know, we're not going to be snogging. I'm like, mm, I don't, I'm not sure that's a good idea. It's got to be a virtual date. Has to be, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, there's two things, isn't there? I think there's, there's thinking about people's individual needs, like, for example, the, you know, the category of which you find yourself in and how you must look after your own health. But then we all have a moral responsibility to think about the wider public health issue. And it's a, it's a simple no to that one, isn't it? Virtual yes. day, it's not essential. 
as essential as it might feel, it isn't. <laughs> I've heard lovely stories online of people having a bottle of wine and then actually then watching a bit of Netflix and whatever happens afterwards. That, I think, is a really warm thing to be doing. It's showing still ongoing contact. You can date, in a, you, know, you can find love in a time of coronavirus. And I think it's really important that people think that they're not alone. I think people used to do a lot of their initial forays into dating were on the phone. You know, they, yeah. they, or they were by a letter. You know, all of these things have a real sexual vibrancy to them. The fact, yeah. I, mean, I, I know Love is Blind has been on the telly and I don't <laughs> quite mean in, 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 in that sort of sense, but actually, you know, um, you can feel for someone hugely and deeply through these other methods of communication that don't mm-hmm. require you to be in the physical same space as the other person. And there's, there's an enforced, uh, enforced timeline on having to delay physical contact, which to be honest, in my experience of working with people for sex therapy, a lot of people would prefer there to be more of an enforced timeline. I have a lot of conversations with especially people in their 20s who say, actually, I would rather not have sex on the first, second or third date, but I feel like that's what's expected. So that's what I do. And then it ends up being rubbish. And a lot of people would would like the opportunity for there to be more of a delayed getting to know each other phase before it moves forward. But we live in a society where that's no longer expected. And so that opportunity is another silver lining. And, you know, just coming back to the virtual dates idea, I know that there are plenty of museums around the world that are doing like virtual tours. So you could go on a virtual museum tour together while you have your wine or do whatever in your own separate houses. So maybe this is an opportunity to see how innovative your date can be. I was I wanted to just mention on something that you, you talked about earlier, Karen, about people, for example, who are returning to their homes to live with their families and perhaps their sexual behaviours don't chime with the cultural background um, or the beliefs of the family that they're going into and how that can be a real struggle. Do you need sort yeah. of support that they could perhaps look at? I think, you know, for the queer community particularly, there have been some really useful kind of posts on social media from people around the impact of living with a family where you don't feel that you can be completely out um, or completely yourself, whether that's around gender or sexuality. And there's an awful lot of struggles happening there, I think, around expressing your sexuality or gender identity, but also just the impact of being back in the closet in some ways. I think for those people, and I think there is a lot of people in that boat at the moment, it's really important to stay connected to networks and to make sure that you've got constant access to your people, whether that's on Zoom catch-ups, whether it's um, connecting with people online, because it can be a very difficult place for people to be, can't it? And of course, the impact of feeling closeted again, feeling re-closeted because of your living circumstances has a huge impact on your feelings about being sexual, either by dampening your sex drive completely or by... um, leaving you with a sense of shame or guilt after masturbation or after being sexual, which is something you haven't experienced for a long time because you've been out and more happy with yourself and with your tribe. So I think it can have a real impact. And I think the only way to kind of manage that in the current climate is to try and stay connected with those communities, the people that give you strength and the people that um, make you feel proud to be who you are. There's um, one subject matter that's been coming up quite a bit, certainly on social media, that I I think that we should have a short chat about, which is about people who find themselves in situations such as a breakup or in the middle of a divorce or even a domestic abuse situation when they are stuck in isolation. 
And I just wonder whether we could talk a, a little bit about if we are now trapped in a household where we don't feel safe or we're deeply emotionally uncomfortable. That's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because um, in a kind of basic sense of hierarchy of needs, safety um, is super important and comes before all else. And I think one of the things that we are struggling with as a society right now in all different areas is that we are struggling to keep people safe. And that's not something that we're used to. Um, There isn't a quick solution to being able to find a way around that except for people to know um, which organisations are out there at the end of a phone. And maybe you can include some of those in the show notes in terms of domestic violence and things. But I know it's something we're all desperately worried about. There has been an increase in domestic violence call-outs by the police, hasn't there, since lockdown. Um, We're worried about children in unsafe houses and all of those types of things. I think perhaps something that we can all do is think about the people that are close to us and think about whether there is anyone that we feel might be at risk in those situations and reach out to them more than usual. I think women's aid have been particularly useful um, as a resource for people who feel unsafe or that they feel that their friends or uh, family are unsafe. I just wanted to add that general practice is still open. I think lots of people have this idea that we're closed. We're absolutely not. We are open. And it's so important that we do see people face to face. So we're fully accessible on the phone at the moment, but we will bring you in. If you feel you want to come and talk to us, please do tell us that. If you think it's personal, you don't have to tell the receptionist, please say it's personal. And that you know one of the doctors will ring you back and we will be able to link you to someone or get you help if that's what you need. It's important for people to know that those services are still there to support them, isn't it? And, um, you know, we're still open as well in sexual health at 5016th Street and um, we're still open for people to contact us in a similar way. So I think it's important for people to know that those services are there. I feel like you've blasted the corona baby boom myth. <laughs> I, think it, I think it could happen. But I think it's important to make the distinction between there is an opportunity for people to improve their sex lives or have more sex, but the opportunity won't automatically translate into more sex without people doing something about it. Most people are not just suddenly going to feel more horny because they've got more time with their partner. However, there is an opportunity to say, actually... You know, given we've got more time together if we're on lockdown or if we're not and we're doing it via phone or whatever, shall we make these dates that are sex dates, that are physical intimacy dates a couple of times a week? If you do that, it's more likely that you're going to be having more sex. But just by virtue of being at home together or having more time on your hands apart isn't going to create more sex, probably. It's useful for us to, you know, look at the silver lining of all of this. We know that longing is generally quite good for people's sex life. So there's also that opportunity people have. But it could be that people could also use email to share their favourite sexual memories um, or, you know, or text, whatever. But some kind of technology to sending voice notes, perhaps, to share their favourite sexual memories together. Or if they feel confident to, and not everyone has fantasies, but they could also do that with fantasies. And that would be a great a great thing to do as well. But yeah, there's some really interesting um, research, I guess, which is worth us noting. Couples who spend time together doing novel, fun or engaging activities 
So, you know, playing a game, uh, baking a really complex cake together, planning what they're going to do when all of this is over, stuff that makes you feel excited, that makes you have a laugh together, that makes you feel connected. Couples that spend time together doing that versus time together as usual, like watching Netflix, tend to see a spike in their sexual desire. So one of the opportunities that we have for time together is exactly that, is not spending all of it watching Netflix. Because although that's wonderful, we have an opportunity to create a different type of couple time together if you're at home with a partner. Or actually, even if you're not, you could do that over FaceTime. This episode of The Pleasure Podcast was sponsored by YES, award-winning natural intimate health. YES are a range of pure, certified organic, plant-based personal lubricants and intimacy products for people who are passionate about intimate health and serious about sexual pleasure. They have a real passion for empowering women and their partners with evidence-based knowledge to look after their sexual health and well-being. That's why their lubricants are designed to respect the body, leaving you healthy, nourished, moisturised and hydrated. Check them out at yesyesyes.org and if you're not 100% satisfied, they'll even give you your money back. They're recommended by gynaecologists and sexual therapists and now by us. Thank you, Yes. Making vaginas happy since 2003. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoyed this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and gives the series a boost. Give us five stars, you lovely lad. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. And Gilad Vysotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex and of course, pleasure. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.